Hey, smart mamas. Welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives. I want to be a nurse anesthetist. No topics are off limits. Relationships, finance, mental health, work. And we aren't sugarcoating anything. No way, old way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hey mama, so excited to have you back listening. This episode is going to completely blow your mind because we are finally getting the chance to talk with Amanda Nybert. She's a registered dietitian and a nutritionist, and she's educated so many people using her lean system on how to live sustainably healthy lifestyles. Are you somebody who has thyroid problems, adrenal issues, or any kind of hormonal fluctuations? I know that postpartum, we all go through that. And, you know, I always wondered, is breakfast really the most important part of the day? And what on earth is the carb flu? You're going to get all those answers here. We talk about how men and women are so different and how this all affects us and how this applies to us. Wait until you hear what she has to say about the fountain of youth. That was insane. We loved hearing about the sad diet and why we all became so obese as a nation. You definitely don't want to spend your whole life meal planning. I know that. Our schedules do not allow for it. But how do you stay from being so hungry all the time? What supplements are you missing? What are your workouts doing to you? You're going to hear amazing tips on how to deal with all of these things, but most importantly, how to adapt this program to your uncertain break schedule and lunch schedule, because we know if you turn down a break, you never know if you're getting one again, right? The most amazing part of this episode is that we had so many questions from you. We value you and your participation and your support so much, and the biggest part of this episode is that she answered all of your questions about intermittent fasting, about what the OMAD eating is like, how all of this affects pregnancy, breastfeeding, working out, and your life in general. So enjoy this episode and make sure you let us know exactly what you think. Well, I just want to welcome everybody back to Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. Mamas, thank you so much for joining us again. We have a super exciting episode today. Our group members and listeners were like freaking out when we told them that we were going to have our guest on today. And I personally, I warned everyone, I was like, I might fangirl really hard. So this is really like me toning it down a notch. But um, we have Amanda Nybert on today. And everybody probably knows her because I scream from the rooftops about her program all the time. But registered dietitian, nutritionist, boss, mama, all of the things we love. And um, I personally can connect with the story because I started intermittent fasting and carb cycling um, after following her on Instagram, actually, for a few weeks just to see how I felt and um, jumping in with my husband. And I was postpartum after the second baby. And so I had such amazing results, even though I didn't have that much weight to lose. Technically, I just wanted to change my body composition and learn a lot about this new carb cycling, intermittent fasting I knew nothing about. So I had such incredible results that um, we decided to bring our in-laws in on it and my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law. And for the next six weeks after that, we all 
ran together and we lost 73 pounds as a family, which was uh, amazing. Yeah. My 62 year old father-in-law dropped like 23 pounds. They thought that they'd never be able to do it and everybody crushed it. So we're so excited to have you on here and learn so much from you. So welcome. Yay. Oh my gosh. Welcome Amanda. Yeah. And Lacey and Crystal are here too. So we all come from like kind of different backgrounds of knowing what we know about intermittent fasting and carb cycling. I would say at this point, I feel like I know a lot more than I did in the summertime. Um, Lacey, where are you at? And Crystal, where are you guys at with this? I feel pretty good. I read um, Delay, Don't Deny, and I'm just kind of dipping my toe in. I'm, I'm learning, but I'm excited. And then Lacey is uh, a novice. I am a complete rube who knows nothing about this topic. And so, Amanda, can you kind of, you know, can you break it down for me? Like intermittent fasting, carb cycling, what is it? Can you just, yeah, just break it down for me. Help me kind of get up to speed a little bit. Well, um, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, kind of a lot to break down all in one, um, you know, feel swoop. But the bottom line is, you know, the program I run is called Lean, Living Energized and Nourished. And my goal is to empower men and women, families to find sustainable lifestyle changes that they can make to improve their overall health. And so we use a couple of strategies, and some of those include intermittent fasting, um, which is a really fancy word for time-restricted eating, and we can have a whole conversation about that. Um, So intermittent fasting is is not about what you eat, it's it's more about when you eat. Um, And there's a lot of research and a lot of benefits coming out around intermittent fasting. And then um, we also practice a uh, called uh, macro management. So instead of looking at caloric intake, which has been really popular over the last five decades, it's all about calories in versus calories out. What I like to teach my clients is more about that macronutrient balance. So macronutrients are carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. So what you end up learning is that not all calories are equal. And it's really the ratio in which you consume those macronutrients that can either create weight loss or weight gain. So those are the two pillars of the lean program. Awesome. Can you kind of talk to us about the myths that surround intermittent fasting? I know a lot of stuff that we've heard in the past, like you must eat breakfast immediately when you wake up or your metabolism will slow down. So kind of like that, what are the myths that we've been told and what are they finding now about the benefits of this? Yes. I I always say as a registered dietitian, in order to get your degree, you must put your hand on your diploma and say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So (laughs) to actually buy into this whole, you know, thought of, you know, breakfast is potentially making you fat, um, took a lot for me to do so. Um, I had to see a lot of research and a lot of data on it. But the reason why we're hearing so much about intermittent fasting right now is because about four or five years ago, the Nobel Peace Prize was won for the discovery of a process called autophagy. And the autophagy is actually stimulated the most in a fasted state. And autophagy is where the body actually goes and seeks out dead, damaged, dysfunctional cells and gets rid of them. So it's kind of like the fountain of youth from the inside out. So once we discovered this incredible property that happens in the body. And once we discovered that fasting, not eating, digestive rest actually stimulated this process the most, 
we started to really look at, well, so is this kind of six small meals a day really beneficial? Is this the way we should be eating? So it's taken the last four or five years for all the research to now come out about intermittent fasting and longevity and overall health. So that's why you're hearing so much about time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting today is because all of that science is now just coming out. Now, typically when you tell people that you are practicing intermittent fasting, they just say, oh, so you're starving yourself. You know, that's the common... Um, feedback that they'll say. And those are people that, you know, obviously are ill-educated. And what we know now about the way that we store fat and the way we burn fat really has to do a lot with a hormone in the body called insulin. And every time we eat, especially if we're eating the standard American diet, I call it the sad diet, um, (laughs) we have a spike in our insulin levels because we tend to eat a lot of carbohydrates and sugars, you know, a lot of processed foods. So anytime your insulin levels are spiking, you're going to be more prone to store fat than burn fat. We know that to be the case. Now, in the 70s, our eating patterns were we had breakfast at 8 o'clock, we had lunch at noon, and we had dinner at 5.30. So by default, five, six decades ago, we were fasting for 14 hours. We just didn't call it that. We just called it three square meals a day. Then all of a sudden in 1977, the government came out with the food guide pyramid and at the same time theorized that eating six small meals a day would be more beneficial and would increase our metabolism more because digestion does increase the metabolic response. So they saw, well, digestion increases metabolism. So instead of increasing your metabolism three times a day, let's do it six times a day. And what we didn't know was the impact of that insulin. So now we eat at 6 a.m., we have a snack at nine, we eat lunch at 12, we have a snack at three, we eat dinner at six, and we have another snack. So instead of having insulin spikes three times a day within say a 10 hour eating window, a 12 hour eating window, we have insulin spikes in a 15 hour eating window. And that's really where the rise of obesity has been driven over the last, again, four or five decades is that, you know, kind of six small meals a day. I always say when I came home from high school, I'm almost 43 years old. And I would ask my mom for a snack, what would she do? She would smack me on the hand and say, no, you're going to ruin your dinner. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, it's like if we don't feed our kids every two hours, they're going to die. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yes. Why. Well, they act like it. They That's think so. Yeah. <laughs> they think, yeah. They're going to die. And then we wonder why when we sit them down to dinner and we feed them chicken and broccoli, they don't eat it because they're not hungry. They just had goldfish an hour and a half ago. So it's really kind of been this kind of vicious cycle with the six small meals a day and kind of the food we're eating now. So when we talk about the myths of intermittent fasting, you know, um, skipping breakfast is super like faux pas. Like we think that, you know, eating breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's what sparks your metabolism. And it just goes back to the fact that that was just a theory that obviously was really, really wrong. So what we know now is that if we can actually limit your eating window, even if we limit it to 12 hours, so kind of across the board, everyone in your life, whether it be your one-year-old or your 101-year-old, should be fasting for 12 hours a day. Okay. So if dinner ends at seven o'clock at night, then we have breakfast at 7am. That should be doable. 
But the more we can restrict our eating window, say to 10 hours, eight hours, you know, I like that eight hour sweet spot. Again, the better that insulin control is. So probably one of the biggest myths is that intermittent fasting puts you into starvation mode. And that is not true. Intermittent fasting actually increases your metabolism by upwards to, you know, 14 to 15% in some studies. So it's just kind of false information out there. Got it. To touch on what you just talked about with the studies and the uh, windows, there were a lot of questions from our uh, listeners who a lot of them are either, you know, trying for kids, pregnant currently, breastfeeding, or just postpartum. A lot of people were asking if there's a sweet spot to avoid stressing a female body, like if they should go more than um, 16 hours in a fast. Some people were asking about like a 20-hour fast with a four-hour window. And they were asking specifically because most studies are done on men. So they didn't know how that would affect women with hormones, their adrenals, thyroid issues, because a lot of women that we have in our group suffer from thyroid health. So what can you tell us about that? Very common question, very common question. And so we know that most people are going to tolerate across the board that 12, 14, maybe even that 16 hour fast. So, you know, if you're in good health or, you know, you're, you don't have any of those kind of issues, you're going to do well with extended fasting, probably no problem. Now, if you have adrenal fatigue, if you know your cortisol levels are out of whack, if your thyroid is poorly managed, your levels all are all over the place, if you're not sleeping well, if your stress is through the roof, then intermittent fasting can actually increase that stress response on your body. So for anyone that I work with in those scenarios, I tell them, stick to 12 to 14 hours. You're good there, okay? And I even think that you could tolerate up to 16 hours. But anything beyond that, I would totally avoid. So, you know, I love to do extended fasting. I love to do 24, 36 hours. You know, the sweet spot for that autophagy increases almost 300% between hours 24 and 36. So that's kind of like the benefit of extending your fast. And then after that, the benefits decrease, not in a negative way, but they kind of like peak. But if you have those types of uh, thyroid, adrenal, um, cortisol issues, you have no business doing an extended fast. I, I would stay away from anything beyond 16 hours. So my question is, you know, I'm pregnant in my third trimester. And so what would you recommend for people during pregnancy or I'll be breastfeeding for theoretically another year? You know, I know people like to get the stubborn um, postpartum weight off, but, you know, it can also affect your milk supply. So how does pregnancy and breastfeeding play into this? So if you are a lean client and you've been living the lifestyle for a while and you get pregnant, then I think that you can still tolerate a 14 to 16 hour fast, you know, as long as you can get your, your nutrients in and, and things like that. I mean, I think you've created a lifestyle and you kind of know, you know, how your body reacts and, and all of those things. I would never suggest someone who's pregnant to kind of start this lifestyle. <laughs> you know, that it, this is not the time to start intermittent fasting when you're growing a human being. So definitely pregnancy is one of those things where we say, you know, don't fast, stick to 12 hours. You know, if you want to implement any form of fasting in, in, the, in a pregnant state, I would say stick to 12 hours. Now, I actually do work with a lot of postpartum women. And I work with a lot of breastfeeding women. And I would say 99% of them do amazing 
with the intermittent fasting, even with the carb cycling, as long as they're diligent about their water intake. Um, I think a lot of women don't realize how important uh, water fluid is for breastfeeding. So I push, you know, a good 80 ounces, maybe even 100 ounces a day. I think actually the addition of electrolytes really helps. I'm a huge proponent of um, fueling uh, electrolytes appropriately, sodium, potassium, and magnesium. And then, you know, as long as they're able to get all of their macronutrients in that eight-hour eating window, their supply is great. Usually very little issues with that. But, you know, on the flip side, I always tell new moms, I'm like, listen, if you give yourself grace and you allow yourself to just live, you know, in this part of your life where you're taking care of your, your baby, don't worry about yourself. You know, I mean, obviously worry about yourself, but this is not the time to be thinking about, oh, I want to be back in a bikini and things like that. I promise you that cortisol management um, will really help you kind of in the long run. So you don't want to implement a program that's going to add additional stress to an already very stressful time in your life. So it kind of depends on the person. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. So maybe don't start it right as you come home from the hospital. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I always say at least wait um, six to eight weeks to establish your supply. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So at the minimum, I, I try to act like wait two months yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, your supply is really well established and you're good to go. But um, I worked with a client who just had twins and she just sent me the most amazing text ever um, about how, and this was her second child, you know, um, natural twins. I don't know what you call that, you know, <laughs> but um, like natural surprise, whatever. And, you know, she was like, really, I lived the principles of lean during my pregnancy to some extent, you know, the whole food nutrition, the low inflammation, the, the macro management, you know, and she says, I feel like that that really helped me come into this delivery in a really healthy state. And it's really helped me postpartum, you know, to kind of effortlessly kind of get back to where I was after twins because she kind of took care of herself during the pregnancy. So it's a really powerful testimony that I definitely tend to translate into some sort of, um, you know, something for my clients to see. Yeah, it's much easier to bounce back if you don't have very far to bounce from, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you're fasting, say you're doing a 16-hour fast, what can you consume during your fast? Great question. That's a really common question. So there's different levels of fasting. So elitist of fast, um, of fasting will say in order to get 110% of the benefits of digestive rest and fasting, you need to stick with water, herbal tea, black tea, basically any kind of tea, but with nothing in it, no stevia, no artificial sweeteners, um, or black coffee. That's going to give you kind of the purest fast. Typically a clean fast, what they call a clean fast. Yeah. I guess if people are labeling it, that would be called a really clean fast. Yeah. Sometimes people will incorporate a little kind of bone broth. That's kind of more for an extended kind of water fast that would still be considered clean because here's the deal and it's all about the electrolytes. So that's where bone broth can be super beneficial because it helps to maintain your sodium, your potassium and your magnesium levels when you're not consuming food. So typically 75% of the people walk out of black coffee because they're like, I ain't doing it. Exactly. So, yeah. So, 
you know, it's all fasting is all about an insulin response. So if we can keep your insulin level super low, your glucose super low, very little change in that, then technically you're still going to be in a fasted state. So I allow my clients 40 calories or less about every three to four hours during their fast. And most of them, you know, again, you're still going to be kind of in that fasted state. So if you wanted to put a little cream in your coffee, as long as it's 40 calories or less, we include artificial sweeteners into that category just because some people have a little blip in that insulin or glucose response with artificial sweeteners. So if you use stevia or, or Splenda or whatever, you know, that would be kind of that mid-level fasting. So the general rule of thumb is anything 40 calories or less, you're probably good to go. So monk fruit and stevia fall into like the 40 calorie fast? Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's a very scientific way to test your response. Because again, everybody responds differently is with a, um, a glucometer. You know, I mean, basically something that you you just like diabetics use to test their blood sugar. So you can test your blood sugar, you know, in the morning, and then you can, you know, make your coffee, put some monk fruit in it, put some cream in it, drink it. And then, you know, uh, 15, 20 minutes later, test it again. And I mean, as long as your, your levels didn't, you know, spike, you're still in a fasted state. So do you recommend monk fruit over stevia? Are they the same? Where, where do you stand on that? A lot of people were asking. I think it just depends on what's added to it. You know, there's a lot of really good clean stevia out there. I love it. It's made from a leaf. It's not a chemical. But like, for example, there's brands that are like stevia with chemicals. So you don't want that. Mm -hmm. You know, you want something that's pretty pure. And same thing with monk fruit. You know, there's monk fruit blends out there. So I think it's just a matter of whatever you choose, just make sure you're getting the rawest one. And stevia in the raw is... (laughs) It's not raw. (laughs) It's just a really fancy name. So, you know, read the ingredients. What are your thoughts on kombucha at night while you're fasting? So kombucha is an amazing drink that is a all natural probiotic. And some kombucha is made with a lot of sugar. You have to have some sugar to create that healthy bacteria. Bacteria feeds on sugar. Um, so a lot of kombucha is made with sugar. It's very rare to find a kombucha under 40 calories. Most of those kind of big bottles that I'm thinking of, I think like the Synergy brand, yeah. two servings, and most of oh. those are going to be about 80 calories. So you could do a half of a, a jar, you know, a half of a bottle. And then ideally you would wait at least three to four hours to do the other half. But some of them are way higher in sugar. You know, some of them have a hundred, you know, I mean, 50 to to 60 carbohydrates. So um, 150, 200 calories. It just depends on the flavor. So I would read the label. Awesome. We talked about monk fruit and stevia, and I know you mentioned something about um, herbal teas and black teas. What about fruit teas? So as long as it's, I mean, a calorie-free tea, I mean, I don't know if you're talking about like crystal light fruit tea or <laughs> if you're talking about more of like a bag fruit tea, Yeah, you know, it, it just depends on kind of the label. But I mean, across the board, most teas are going to be a great option. I love, I think it's like, I think Tazo has a lemon loaf tea that's just so delicious at night. It's zero calories, but it's like that little sweet tang to it. 
um, that I use a lot in the evening. So that's a good, good one in my book. Awesome. So a lot of people were asking, um, because life comes up and plans come up, is it okay, for example, on a Saturday to have, you know, a fast of only 10 hours if they want to indulge on a Saturday night out with friends or to accommodate, for example, a Sunday brunch? Are they going to impede progress? Is it going to slow things down if it's just like once in a while? And this also applies to us specifically in the OR as CRNAs because you get a break or a lunch when you get a break or a lunch. And <laughs> right. if you don't take it, you're yeah, not you going to get another one. Right. right exactly. So once in a while, if you switch up that fasting period a little bit, is that really going to screw you up? Or is it mainly like a trend versus a snapshot in time? Yeah, I love that question. Because one of the things I love about intermittent fasting is it's not an all or nothing technique. You do not have to fast every single day in order to see benefits. Every day you fast, you see benefits. So for example, I have a lot of moms that are like, I want to sit down and eat breakfast with my kids. You know, I don't want to skip breakfast every morning or on the weekends. And I'm like, great, we'll fast Monday through Friday, and then eat fast for 12 hours on Saturday and Sunday. I think 12 hours should be, you know, kind of what you aim for on most days. But even if you get, you know, a 10 hour fast in, so be it. I mean, you don't have to fast every single day in order to see benefit. So to answer your question, you know, make it work for, you know, what, what you have going on for that day. For me, if I was being super diligent and and I'm like, Hey, I want to really reap the rewards of that 16 hour fast every day. And I want to talk about maybe it, it would be important for us to talk about a little bit of the different forms of fasting, the, the 16, eight, the, the one meal a day, the, you know, alternating 24 hour fast days and kind of what those benefits dictate. But if I'm have a brunch at 12 o'clock, you know, on Saturday, and and I'm really dialed into getting that 16 hour fast, then yeah, I would just wrap up my meals earlier on Friday. Um, you know, that's just you kind of can plan ahead and do things like that. Um, if, if your goal is to really tap into those certain hours each day. Okay. Did you want to talk to us about what you had just said? Um... Yeah. So, you know, one of the things about intermittent fasting is there's so many different ways to do it. And, and there's really not one right way. Um, I use the 16-8 rule where we basically we eat for eight hours, we sleep for eight hours, and we fast for eight hours. I like to say it that way because it sounds a little bit more manageable. Um, <laughs> that's the one that I use the most with my clients. But there's also alternate day 24-hour fast where people fast for 24 hours. And then they eat regular the next day and then they fast for 24 hours and then they eat regular the next day. There's a 5-2 method where you eat normal for five days and you basically under eat for two. Um, and then there's a, a one meal a day, the, the OMOD, I think is what they call it, yeah. um, fast, where basically you fast for 23 hours and you eat all your macros in one hour. Um, and I'll talk, cause I know you had a specific question about that. So I'll elaborate yeah. on that a little bit more, but I really like the 16, eight, cause here's the deal. It takes 12 to 14 hours for your body to digest your last meal. So when we sit down and we eat dinner at six and then we have a snack at nine and then we wake up at 6am and we're eating again, we haven't even allowed our body to burn through the last meal we've eaten before we're refueling again. And so that's problematic. Unless you're, you know, really tapped into that macro management, unless you're kind of in that caloric deficit, 
that over time is going to create weight gain. So mm-hmm. when we used to eat in this 14, this 12 to 14 hour fast, we always gave our bodies time to digest the last meal that we ate before we started fueling again. That was back in the 70s. Um, so what I love about the 16 hour fast is that between hours, you know, 14, 15 and 16, there's there's no glucose. Your glycogen stores are already becoming depleted. Your insulin levels are super low. So the only thing left to break down is stored fat. And this is where we shift from being sugar adapted to being fat adapted. And so basically for about two to three hours every day, your body is not living and burning off sugar and carbohydrates. It's living and burning off fat. And that's really powerful because it's really hard to tap into your fat stores. So intermittent fasting allows you to do that on a daily basis. So that's why I really love kind of that 16-8 because I think for a lot of people, skipping breakfast is not that hard. Mm-hmm. You know, many people wake up and they're not hungry. And there's a reason for that because in that fasted state, we evolved as humans to be very successful without food. <laughs> and if we didn't evolve to be very successful without food, we never would have made it this far. That's right, for sure. Right. Because, you know, we had to work really hard for um, nourishment, you know, in the paleo times, in the, in the caveman times. And so in that fasted state, you actually have an increase in growth hormone, which gives you energy, which helps you build muscle, which you know, helps you burn fat. People pay a lot of money for growth hormone and, and fasting actually stimulates that. You have an increase in your adrenaline level. So you have energy. You have a reduction in your, your hunger hormones. Your leptin levels are low. Your ghrelin's more um, managed. So all of those things help you to manage yourself in a fasted state. I remember I used to work in a clinical setting and trust me, I preached breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And people would come to me and say, Amanda, if I eat breakfast, I'm starving all day long. Mm -hmm. But if I don't eat breakfast, I'm not hungry until two o'clock. And I was like, oh, well, you're not, you're ruining your metabolism. You're not stoking that fire. And in reality, that's just the, the power of the hormonal shifts of intermittent fasting. It helps you to manage your hunger much better for those longer periods of time. So for me, it's a lot easier to manage two to three healthy meals between 12 and eight. That's my eating window. You could do 11 and seven. You could do one and nine. You could do nine to five. It's whatever you want. Then it is for me to manage six healthy meals, you know, from 6 a.m. till 7 p.m. I always said, I would have three really healthy meals and then the last three would be really yeah. questionable. Yeah, well, it's a lot of work. Like it's six true. meals plan. No wonder people who meal plan always say it's so much work because they're meal planning for three full meals and three snacks where you have to come up with healthy options. You don't eat the same thing all the time. So it's like a ton of work doing that. It totally makes sense that, you know, two to three meals in eight hours is so much more manageable to actually, you know, accomplish and not keep falling off the wagon with. I totally agree with that. And that's the feedback I get from so many people is it just, it simplifies the process. <laughs> yeah. Is there an exercise program or a type of exercise that's better to pair with intermittent fasting? Like is cardio better or strength training or is it all? So just the same? I always like to say, 
never use exercise as a barrier to entry because diet is 80%. And I think so many people fail to start because of their inability, their despise, whatever of exercise. So I think it's important to recognize that, you know, diet is the most important thing that you should be focusing on. Now, with regards to like pairing um, certain exercises with intermittent fasting, no, I, I don't think that there's one right or wrong way to exercise when you're incorporating intermittent fasting. But I do think that where women lack is we think that getting on the treadmill and burning 400 calories on our Apple watch is the end all to exercise. When in reality, it is about body composition and it is about strength training and building muscle. And women have to realize that you know, in the long run to be successful, you have to build a healthy metabolism. And one of the best ways that you can build a healthy metabolism, actually intermittent fasting helps you build a healthy metabolism, um, is also to build lean muscle mass. So um, there's a lot of really great tools out there right now, in-body scans, DEXA scans, BODPOD are kind of three of the big ones that you can actually look at your percent body fat. And I think it's very powerful for women to see. As women, we want to be below 30% body fat. Somewhere between, you know, 22 and 30 is awesome. I know a lot of women are like, 30, that sounds high. No, that's really good. Most women are going to be between about, you know, 30 and and sometimes 50%. And so learning to make that shift can make a a huge difference in your your long-term health. I will totally back up what you just said about the 80% food and it being all about your diet because I really put that to the test when our family did it and we all swore off of exercise for six weeks because I'm like, I'm going to test this theory if it's like if your body's made in the kitchen. We lost 73 pounds with exercise. And it's so true. My bloat came down and like, I didn't have a lot to lose. I was the littlest loser in the family because I had already lost my postpartum weight, but I still took off like seven pounds. But the crazy part was the inches that fell off my body, the before and after picture, the bloat and the body composition was something I completely didn't even expect. I didn't even know I looked like that until my after picture came and I was like, what on earth? So that is totally true. It's made in the kitchen. I totally stand behind that. It is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, in lean, we, we don't let you weigh for seven weeks. We don't let you measure, you know, we really encourage you to trust the process because so many women are so quick to give up. I always say, you know, you're just not allowing your body time to respond. And, you know, a lot of times when we're looking at weight loss, we only look at the scale and we don't look at inches. And sometimes the scale only moves a little, but the inches move big. Mm -hmm. In my mind, that means so much more. Like I know I'm never going to be as little as I was, you know, when I got married on the scale, but I can still wear the clothes that I wore, you know, when I got married. So it's like, I'm still the same size. So I know it doesn't make sense, but like when we live and die by the scale, we're always going to be disappointed. So inches means so much. Yeah. So my question is, you know, for Ellen and for Amanda and, and Crystal, like how do you incorporate these lifestyle changes in when you have little kids who you know, they need to eat, they they need to 
you know, they're hungry more often and you're trying to give them a balanced diet also. But if you're only eating for an eight hour window, like how do you incorporate eating those meals with the kids and, and not just kind of being off on your own with this? Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like the majority of the time I'm not eating when I'm feeding the family, you know, you're like getting this or wiping this or filling this. So for me, it really wasn't a problem. What about you, Ellen? Like Amanda said, on the weekends, when my kids are eating breakfast, I'll have something with them so that we could have like that family time because they don't care if I'm eating the same thing that they're eating. Um, I just want to have the family time. And in terms of dinner, we all eat dinner together at the same time because our fasting period starts at like seven, mm, six thirty, seven p.m. And on work days, you know, I don't eat until lunchtime at work. So they don't see that, but we all have dinner together. So they do that. Like, obviously I don't snack with them. I don't eat goldfish every three hours, but (laughs) they don't care about that unless I'm like up after them. But, um, for me, it worked very seamlessly. It was super easy. And something I wanted to talk to Amanda about a lot of questions came in, like, what should I be eating when I'm eating? Should I be doing keto? Should I be doing paleo? We just focused on, you know, that's too much for me to grasp. You can't make all changes at once because you're going to like give up because it's really frustrating. So I don't even know what the heck keto or paleo is. I just know that we focused (laughs) on like whole food nutrition. And, you know, I definitely want Amanda to touch on carb cycling because that was massive for us. And the days that we ate, you know, high carb versus low carb, you know, if my kids had pasta or rice with their meal, I still had what they had. I just cut out the carb at dinner. They don't care. They're three and one and a half. They couldn't focus on what I was eating anyway. And it actually showed them that like we all eat veggies. Now it's a lifestyle. I don't even think about it anymore. Like this has become, that's my favorite thing about this is I've never been able to maintain any kind of diet or program or like meal plan. It's just too much work for our lifestyle as CRNAs and moms. And this has just become my life. So I don't think about it anymore. You know, we just eat well and we just eat in a smaller time period. That's it. Mm -hmm. Can you touch on the carb cycling, Amanda? A lot of people had questions about that. Like what on earth is carb cycling? Yeah. And yes, I'll talk about carb cycling. So, and just to kind of bring it back again, living energized and nourished is about fueling your body with whole food nutrition. I mean, that's really what we want to focus on. I think we can all agree when we talk about paleo and keto and we talk about vegan and vegetarian, the one thing we can all agree on is plants and vegetables. And that's really what we strive to do is incorporate as many plants and vegetables into our diet as possible and eat food that's grown in the ground and eat food that has a mother, you know, eat food that has less packaging and the least amount of ingredients, like keep it super simple. So with carb cycling, We all know that if you do a low carb diet, if you do keto, which is kind of a high fat, low carb diet, that you're going to potentially lose a lot of weight. And it all comes back to that insulin response. Low carbohydrates produces zero insulin, zero insulin, you're burning fat, not storing fat. So the weight melts off of you. But here's the deal. I always say, whatever you do to lose the weight, you must be prepared to do to keep it off. So if you do a low carb diet for 60 days and you lose 30 pounds, well, in order to keep that 30 pounds off, you're going to have to eat low carb for the rest of your life. And for most people, that is not sustainable. So carb cycling tends to be a more sustainable combination of the two. You get your carbohydrates on the weekends, special occasions, you know, certain times, 
And then you dial in on a couple of low carb days to really reap the benefit of that low carb eating. Um, And that's pretty much all it is. There are so many different ways to carb cycle. I try to incorporate at least two to three low carb days a week in my cycle, sometimes three to four, depending on, you know, what week we're in and kind of what our goals are. But a low carb day is very simple. We eat protein and vegetables. So it's kind of like you guys were saying, Ellen was saying that, you know, um, maybe her kids are having pasta and broccoli and a side salad, you know, and and she's going to have zoodles with the marinara sauce and the broccoli and the side salad. You know, maybe they're having chicken and mac and cheese and green beans and she's going to have chicken and green beans, you know, so it's just a little give and take um, on those low carb days. So we focus mainly on protein and vegetables on those days. I love to do breakfast for dinner. You know, we skip breakfast. Everyone's like, oh, I love breakfast. Oh, well, we do breakfast for dinner once a week, whether it be veggie omelets or hard boiled eggs or, you know, biscuits and and bacon and sausage. And and I just don't eat the biscuits, you know? (laughs) Um, So kind of stay away from that kind of stuff. Um, So we keep it really simple. Now, I like to pair um, low carb days kind of back to back. Because when you really dial down on those glucose and those glycogen stores, um, excess carbohydrates are stored in your liver as glycogen. So once you start depleting those excess stores, again, the only thing left to burn is stored fat. And that's really my goal is that my clients become what I call fat adaptive. So in the beginning of lean, I always say, you know, prep week, week one, you don't feel great. Sometimes you go through what we call the carb flu. Um, Some people call it the keto flu. You're not ever really in ketosis in the lean program. It's not that restrictive. But what I equate that to is like learning to run a mile. All right. Right now, your body is a couch potato. Carbs are just being served up on a platter and they're eating them and easily digesting, doing nothing. Well, once those readily available carbs are gone, the body has to like get off the couch It has to go hunt for the fat. It's got to pull the fat. It's got to convert the fat. It's got to use the fat for energy. And that's a lot of work. Like that lazy couch potato has not had to work that hard for energy. And so in the beginning, it's very laborsome. You know, it takes a lot of effort. But over time, it's like, you know, in the beginning, you walk the mile. Then you start to run a little. Now you're running and walking. And then in the end, you're running a full mile. So once you become fat adapted, your body's able to live off your fat stores with relative ease and you have that kind of energy back and you feel so much better. So that's ultimately kind of the end goal is to get you burning that fat. Can you explain what low carb and regular carb days are like in terms of amounts? Because people aren't sure. They're not sure if they should be doing 20, 120. Like where, where is that? What do you, I mean, I know what you practice, but. Yeah. So typically a low carb day is anything like 50 net carbs or less. And we do calculate net carbs on low carb days because that number is just so low. So net carbs are total carbs minus fiber. Um, And the reason why we allow you to subtract fiber, because actually fiber does not break your fast. It does not create an insulin spike. Fiber is so good for you. We definitely don't eat enough fiber. So the more fiber, the better. And fibers actually calculated in that total carbohydrate number. So we allow you to subtract that on your low carb days because we don't want it to count against you. So 50 net carbs or less, keep it even more simple, focus on protein and vegetables only. On a regular carb day, 
it will vary from person to person, but I will say generally, and I don't like to call it high carb. I know you mentioned that. And a lot of people say that because the average American, can you guys guess what the average American eats in the form of carbohydrates a day? Oh God. 500. I have no idea. Oh, really? (laughs) No idea. Okay. No. So the average American eats 400 to 500 carbs. Wow. Yes. Oh my God. Really? Yes. Yes. So I was just going uh, high. I really had no idea. (laughs) Yeah. So I always say, well, okay, well, and you're like, wow, really? Not me. And maybe not you, but if you go through McDonald's and you grab a, a large sweet tea, that's 75 grams of carbs. You grab a Big Mac and a large fry on top of it, you're at 250, 300 carbohydrates. And guess what? It's just 11 o'clock. We're just getting started. So carbohydrates add up really quickly. And here's the deal. The problem is, is that on that label, on the McDonald's label, um, it's 150 calories. So people see that and go, wow, that's not bad. I get 2000 calories a day. That's only 150 calories. But that's where the caloric game is wrong Mm -hmm. because it's only 150 calories, but it's got 75 grams of carbohydrates, even more so it's got 75 grams of sugar. So, um, so the average American eats 400, 500 carbs a day. That's a high carb day. Okay. Yeah. Holy. (laughs) That's a high carb day. (laughs) I like to say a regular carb day. So carb adequate because so many people are carb phobic. They think that if I, if I eat any carbs, it's not going to work. So I have to do no carbs. So they live in that kind of all or nothing mindset. And that's where you fail. Mm -hmm. So a regular carb day, just for general population, um, would be right around 150 to 200 carbohydrates, um, which is very moderate. You know, some people are like, Oh, my gosh, 150 carbs. That's a lot of carbs. No, it's not. 500 carbohydrates is a lot of carbs. (laughs) So yeah, so you're rotating between, you know, 50, 50 net carbs for your low carb days, 150 carbs for your regular carb days, you know, keep it simple. Still below 500. (laughs) Yeah. Way (laughs) below 500. Yeah. Way below 500. And that's the thing, you know, one of the biggest takeaways that your listeners can get is that carbohydrate control should be the foundation of where you start. So if you're like overwhelmed already, you're like, what the heck? intermittent fasting, carb cycling, macro management, you guys have got me way confused. Start with carbohydrate control, meaning when you read a food label, that's what you should focus on first. Okay, if you pick up something, let's say you pick up a breakfast bar, and you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm gonna eat breakfast. Is this a good breakfast bar? So if you pick it up, and it's got, you know, 50, 75 grams of carbs. No, that's not a good breakfast bar. Bad. Run. So you put that down, you know, but if you pick up a breakfast bar and it's got, you know, 10, 20, that's good. You know, if you pick up, I love bag salads, you know, I live on a good bag salad with some rotisserie chicken. It's just quick and easy. So it's like, sometimes people will pick up a bag salad and they're like, okay, well, cause I'm going to eat the whole bag. And they're like, wow, that's 50 carbs. Well, but that's for lunch. Like that's a whole meal. So on a regular carb day, if you eat three meals a day, you get 50 carbs per meal. So when you look at managing your carbs, it just is so much easier to do, so much easier to do. So start there. And I always say, here's a challenge. Change nothing, track everything. Oh, yeah. So if, you, if you're sitting here going, 500 carbohydrates, that's not me. I challenge you to download the free app, MyFitnessPal. 
don't stop getting your caramel macchiato. Don't stop <laughs> getting your, your favorite, you know, ice cream at, at 10 o'clock at night, add it all up and see where you are. Yeah. That was eye opening. I did that. And I was like, oh, okay. It count, keeps you accountable too. That's the biggest part of this whole program. I think. Yeah. And, and I work with so many women who are like, Amanda, I eat healthy. I eat healthy. I eat organic. I eat, you know, all the right things. But at the end of the day, healthy food adds up. You know, that granola has just as many carbs as, you know, that Snickers bar. So that kind of like awareness of that carbohydrate control can be really eye opening to determine, you know, kind of where things are, where you're not seeing your progress. Fruit is a big one. I always say, you know, fruit is God's candy. And a lot of people will make an effort to eat healthy, but they'll eat a ton of fruit. And that will kind of backfire on you if your goal is weight loss. I had a question. Actually, a listener had a question. She said she's struggling on maintaining her 1300 KCAL allowance on Orange Theory days where she's burning 600. She's just so hungry on those days and bone broth can only get her so far. So she <laughs> does mix um, BCAAs in during the workouts, but what would you um, suggest for her? You know, I think it's a matter of figuring out if she's properly fueled. I mean, that's a really like that's a, a big question. There's a lot of variables that can go into that. I think definitely electrolytes play a huge role. You know, obviously she's using the bone broth. I think the BCAAs can be very helpful, but there's also something to be said with, you know, giving yourself an extra 300 calories on those big, you know, caloric burn days. I mean, obviously things like Orange Theory, where you actually track your heart rate and you see your caloric burn. Sometimes I think they have a little bit more of like a placebo effect. You know, it's kind of like, oh my God, I burned 600 calories and I only get 13 and now I'm, I'm stuck, dying. You know, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it, you know, it's kind of like too much knowledge, but you, there definitely may be some issue with, you know, properly fueling the body. So I always say never feel bad about adding extra calories. If you're really hungry, I call them refeed days in the form of healthy foods. Sometimes when we, we allow ourselves to go hungry, hungry, hungry day after day, then what happens? We binge, mm. you know, we give in in an unhealthy way. So if I have a client that's like, I'm starving, I'm starving, you know, really after that second starving day, I'm like, you need a refeed day. Today, I want you to eat two to 400 extra calories, but I want you to do it in the form of healthy fats, healthy proteins, and tons of fiber. And then I want you to see how you feel the next day. If you are refueled, then you're good. If not, let's do another refeed day. Um, the problem is if you refeed with a bunch of crap, then that creates kind of like that vicious cycle of hunger, you know, with the sugar yeah. and the carbohydrates. Right. So, you know, never feel bad about adding extra whole foods to, you know, satisfy that. So before we wrap up, there was a big thing that came up. Could you quickly touch on everybody wants to know what supplements should we be taking as women to go along with this? You know, I know the electrolyte tabs are a big one. Is bone broth enough? Should we be taking like extra magnesium? That's what a huge amount of people wrote in. Oh, I love that question because I actually have three, like my top three supplements that I just feel like across the board, women and even children. Um, these are ones that I give my children as well can really benefit from. And that is magnesium, vitamin D, and omega-3 fatty acids. Magnesium is 100% your missing mineral. You guys probably know 
10 years ago, we never talked about vitamin D. I mean, we didn't test it. We didn't treat, we, we didn't, when vitamin D started to come on the radio, I was like, what's all this deal about vitamin D? And so now we know like vitamin D plays such a critical role in the body and is responsible for so much. And we know that deficiencies create tons of medical issues Mm -hmm. and it's just so simple to rectify, you know, optimal levels of vitamin D are right around 60 nanograms. So don't let your doctor tell you 30 is good because it's not optimal. All our pre-op patients get optimized with vitamin D. They always get their vitamin D3 levels checked, and then they get optimized before surgery. That is incredible. Uh That That is. is I've never heard of that. I haven't heard of that either. Yeah. And I wonder if it has to do with, you know, healing and and Mm -hmm. immunity and things after surgery. I love that. So magnesium will be the next vitamin D. You heard it from me first, because I just feel like that we're learning so much about magnesium right now. And again, the power it has in the body, 75% of the population is magnesium deficient. um, And we know it does so much. Here's the problem with magnesium that is not the same with vitamin D. Magnesium has a really short half-life. So it's like you can be in great shapes with your magnesium stores. And a couple of days later, you can be in the tank. So magnesium is something that you kind of have to stay on top of with supplementation or adequate nutrition. And there's so many easy ways to supplement with magnesium. Like for example, my kids, they take like a little gummy um, in the morning. It's a calming mineral. So it's supposed to help you calm and focus, relax. Um, One of my favorite products is called Calm. So it has like an um, anti-anxiety application to it. It's really powerful in the treatment of like headaches and migraines, um, restless legs, sleep issues, constipation. That's like my other huge platform. I think everyone should be pooping every single day. So I use, a, I use a <laughs> lot of magnesium citrate in my constipation protocol as an all natural way to treat that. So I love magnesium. So magnesium is really dependent on stress. So if you go through a lot of stress, if you, if you sleep poorly, you know, things like that, you can pretty much guarantee your magnesium is going to be low. So supplementing with more can be helpful. So I love magnesium. I love vitamin D. And then I love omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3 fatty acid is a a powerful anti-inflammatory property in the body that just across the board, we don't get enough of. And anytime that we can simmer inflammation in the body is a good thing. So almost every single person who's low in omega-3 fatty acids, there's actually a test that you can run, but unfortunately insurance doesn't cover it. So supplementing with even like one, two, three, four grams of omega-3 fatty acids can be super beneficial. I always say just look for a supplement that's higher in EPA than DHA. Um, because we tend to have more issues with our EPA levels and our DHA levels. So those are my top three. Wow, Amanda. That's amazing. I I feel like I've learned so much and now I want to follow you everywhere. Where can our our listeners find you on the internet? Well, I am most active on Instagram, Instagram stories. Um, I basically share my entire day, my entire life. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me at my website, amandanybert.com. Yeah, I'm kind of everywhere. I mean, I have such a passion for health and wellness. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs like to kind of hold their secrets tight to their chest and make you like buy programs to get them. But I'm all about just empowering 
you know, everybody to take these small tips and, and implement them in their life to get healthy. And what's your Instagram handle? So it's Amanda Nybert, which is N-I-G-H-B as in boy, E-R-T-R-D, registered dietitian. So Amanda Nybert, R-D. Awesome. Got it. We have to ask you, what are you binging right now? Like watching? Watching, reading, listening. I'm a huge Mark Hyman fan, H-Y-M-A-N. He is the godfather of functional medicine. And if you're interested in kind of the future of food and nutrition, he's the guy to follow. So I'm always binging on him. That's for sure. Cool. Very cool. So we are going to wrap up here. We have so much content. This is amazing, this episode. And um, there's probably a few questions that were left unanswered. So if we get any answers from you via email, we will put them in the show notes. We want to thank you so much for joining us today, taking time out of your day to um, educate Lacey and me and Crystal and all of our listeners. Yes, thank and, you. Yeah, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, to our listeners, thank you so much again for tuning in for an episode of Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. We appreciate you every single time. Rate, review, subscribe, and share us with all of your mama friends. We don't care where you are or how you come, but we welcome you all. So thank you so much. And you can find us on Instagram at Hey Smart Mamas on Twitter. Are we Hey Smart Mamas, Crystal? Yes, ma'am. And uh, Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups on Facebook. So reach out to us and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye.